Hello and welcome to the first episode of The Archers, a brand new podcast where we are going to talk about all things Taylor Swift. I am half of your hosts, Katie. I'm the other half. This is Madison. (laughs) And we are super excited to be here with you recording right now. We're so excited. We're also really nervous for our first episode, (laughs) but we're going to get through this together, you guys. It's going to be so much fun. (laughs) Yes, we have been talking about making this podcast for the last two weeks or so. I feel like we got it all pulled together so quickly. So quickly. Yeah, we're recording this November 10th. So this is before Red comes out. So you guys are hearing this about two weeks after we recorded it. In a lot of ways, I'm jealous of you listeners. Because I know because whoever's listening has heard Red TV and the vault exactly. track and the short film and all of her other appearances. <laughs> I know. You in the future have seen her SNL performance. Oh my god. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm definitely jealous of you in the future. At least I hope I'm jealous. I hope that you have great news to report people in the future. There's no way they don't. Right? I mean, I I just have to have faith in our Lord and Savior. We have a Phoebe vault track. Like, there's no way. Yes! So I'm wondering if we want to jump right into the kind of Taylor Swift stuff that's happening. I kind of want to maybe save that for after we go over just a little bit about, you know, why we decided to start this who we are yeah but definitely put a pin in phoebe bridgers because she tweeted something today that i'm very interested to talk (gasps) about so we met online through the gayler reddit um best subreddit if you're not on there there. absolutely and that was probably about three months ago i want to say yeah and i i didn't know until a couple days ago that we had actually like kind of interacted before on reddit like I had taken inspiration from one of your posts about Rebecca Harkness and made a TikTok about it. I just found that out a couple of days ago and that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but we officially met met through the gay lore group, gay lore yeah. that I run. Yes. Um, yeah, I hosted a discussion on Zoom about Miss Americana and you were one of like four people to come <laughs> and it was amazing. Just so amazing. It was so much fun. I remember when I joined that group, I was like, this is everything I ever wanted because I would have never had the balls to organize it, but someone did and I'm happy to be here. Like, and it was, we had such a good discussion about Miss Americana. And then last month, um, Katie held another one where we talked about all of her music videos and everyone got to like submit which ones they wanted to watch. And we all like picked them apart and we were on Zoom for like what like two and a half hours just talking about these music videos and there had to have been like 15 people coming in and out throughout that time and it was so much fun to just like talk with Gaylers face to face like that yeah no that really was that was a dream come true in a lot of ways just all of us having the same sort of visceral responses to her videos whether it was um, the hints of queerness in her videos or just like how powerful and intense her symbolism is and how it goes across videos uh it's just the best I, I just love talking to other like queer Taylor fans it's they're really it's like so validating else. too oh yeah to see everyone had the same thoughts that I did like watching those and exactly. Katie's doing another Gaylor group you guys on the 13th um by the time you hear this it will have already passed <laughs> <laughs> I just realized that but, but I'm sure but she'll yeah. be doing another one after that. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm going to be hosting them on the 13th of every month. Of course, December 13th will be her birthday. And hopefully we'll be getting an album on her birthday. That's my theory. <laughs> 
<laughs> I have like I have like a crack theory in my head that she's dropping something on her birthday, but I don't know anything. I mean, I don't know anything either. So, <laughs> but I know I missed you. Oh, oh god. Okay, how many times a day do you finish someone's sentences Too with many. Taylor lyrics in your mind? Too many, and a lot of the time it's to people that don't know anything about Absolutely. her. Absolutely. So it if just goes right over their head. Yeah. Exactly, it goes right over their head. I just say it; they don't even know what I'm talking about. I probably just sound like I'm like blurting out words. It's like a tick. I don't know. It's bad. It's not good. <laughs> so yeah, we met on the internet and it kind of quickly became apparent that we have a lot in common in general. I mean, I just love the theories that Madison was coming up with. And I feel like TikTok is really your canvas. And I just feel like you make such compelling TikToks about the most fascinating, obscure pieces of queer history and how they are being eerily echoed by Taylor. Yeah. yeah, like all of those parallels to like this lost queer history is a lot more telling to me than anything else in her work or in her life. Like absolutely, her queer themes are just so obvious when it comes to her references to like past queer artists and stuff. And yeah, the Connie Converse thing was like one of my favorite things I've ever looked into ever. I mean, regardless of Taylor Swift or whatever, the Connie Converse, like her history and her songwriting and everything is truly just like one of those lost stories in queer history that I wish would be revived. Absolutely. I mean, I I just feel like Taylor in her concerts are really bringing to the forefront so many queer elders and queer ancestors and like shedding a light on them. And I'm just like so grateful that you are also doing that work that I really admire Taylor for. Thank you. Yeah. So if you aren't familiar with Madison's TikTok, obviously we'll probably mention it a bunch, but she's Groupon mom and looking at her video on Connie Converse, just chef's kiss, truly an amazing piece of uh, video. And like, I wouldn't mind uh, doing a whole episode on that. I wouldn't either. Th- yeah, we have a lot of episodes planned, so don't <laughs> a just lot. sit tight. If if you don't <laughs> want to watch TikTok, just wait for our episode about it. <laughs> but yeah, Katie had reached out to me a few weeks mm-hmm. ago over email, which I was like, wow, so official. <laughs> I'm old, and- so. <laughs> But it was nice because I was like, okay, she's serious. And she was just kind of like, I have this crazy idea. Like, I just totally, I love your theories. And like, I do the groups. And like, I think it would be so fun if we did the podcast and talked about all this together. And the way that you had described like what you wanted the podcast to be, the kinds of things you wanted to talk about was exactly aligned with what I would want. Oh, why not? Just see how this goes. Oh, yeah. It it really has felt super faded. Because yeah, yeah, I mean, what inspired that was discovering that you were born November 26th. I was I was born November 28th so both Sagittarians such a crazy coincidence because Taylor of course is a December Sagittarius uh, but having someone so close to my own birthday like you know we both have birthdays on Thanksgiving like that yeah the fact that we're both into astrology and we both read tarot too like outside of this Taylor Swift universe like we just have a lot in common that seemed really faded and the fact that Sagittarius season is just coming like rolling around and we're gonna drop it during Sag season the timing couldn't have been better. It really couldn't have. So that's a little background on why we're doing this in a more like personal sense. Why we're doing this in 
a podcast sense, like why we're bringing this out into the world. I mean, personally, I just long, I have this deep yearning for content about Taylor's like queer identity and a pining, if you will. Yeah, seriously. I mean, <laughs> as if like the number one reason why her music is so queer and gay is the, the pining. pining yearning. I mean, that's just what I feel. And what I hear so many of the fellow gaylers and people in our community, what we're all pining for is like public recognition of this deep, ineffable thing that we all feel, but that is really only being expressed on these obscure kind of like internet forums. These like corners of the internet, like the mm-hmm. hashtag gayler on TikTok or the gayler subreddit or mm-hmm. um, the L chat, you know, like all these places where queer people kind of congregate to talk about things that straight people don't want to hear about. But I totally agree. And I think that your gayler groups made me realize that there was a lot more discussion to be had outside of those spaces. And as much as I love those spaces and I will continue to be a part of all those spaces bringing yeah. it out into a more like palatable form like a podcast like this I feel like will hopefully open the general public's eyes a little bit more or like open up the conversation to more queer people is like our main goal I, I at least for me I don't really care about convincing straight people that her music is queer but I <laughs> right. care that queer people can recognize the queerness in her music if they want to and yeah. enjoy it the same way that straight people have all these years you know that's exactly right. I hope that our podcast can be a way for people to really feel like deep validation of these things. Yes, exactly. Validation. Because we all hear it. We all listen to mine, I think it is, where she says she pronouns. She is the best thing that's ever been mine. And we all screamed that at the top of our lungs as, you know, younger Swifties. And here we are now realizing that that was very real. <laughs> so know. yeah, we're just going to be looking at like all of her songs and her persona through a queer lens, just as the general public public looks at her through a very heterosexual lens we're just gonna do the opposite just talking mostly about her music and her art so her music videos and her lyrics and her writing everything like that rather than what the mainstream media wants to talk about which would be like her relationships and what she's doing and her PR moves and all of that I yeah couldn't care less exactly I know that's kind of like gonna be the disclaimer I think like we're not real I'm I'm not interested in who she has dated or who she is dating or as Dumois wants to convince us who she's married to, the idea that she's <laughs> married or anything like that is so far away from what queerness means to me. Queerness can exist and does exist and has existed in people mm-hmm. regardless of who they're married to. Tell that to any lesbian who's been married to a man. Exactly. Queerness is real and it's something inside of us and can't be like quantified by who the gender of who we've slept with. Yeah. And as much as there is you know arguments to be had and evidence of her with women or whatever it may be Mm -hmm. like we all have seen the timelines we've all seen our theories about which songs about who and like this and that and I love I'm I'm not trying to sound like I'm way above the whole scene from all of that but like no certainly not anyone that (laughs) I mean follows what we talk about on social media will see that we are not above that scene (laughs) No, yeah, we we love talking about her ships and stuff and and digging, but I just don't think that's really what we want to do on this podcast. And I think Katie and I are on the same page about that. It's just really wanting to look at her queerness without it relating to who she's been with, because that is not how your queerness is defined at the end of the day. Yeah. Does, do you want to add anything else? I feel like that really sums up why we've decided to do this. Yeah, I think it does too. And of course, like I said, we both love tarot and astrology and all that. So we'll be throwing in our little um, takes on 
on astrological perspectives, like connections to symbolism that we've seen in tarot, you know, stuff like that. We feel like Taylor's probably a witch on her own, so. I mean, uh, of all, like, how many Willow remixes were there that were, like, the dancing witch version, the witching hour version, the I turn, like, frog's legs into potions version. Literally. I know, she is very witchy. I love that she's in her witch era right now. It's amazing, the cloaks. Mm -hmm. I love I love it. This episode, we are going to be doing a little lyrical analysis of the archers. Our namesake. Or not the archers, the song The Archer. Right, yeah, we're the the archers, archers, plural. (laughs) Uh, Yes, our namesake for The Archers podcast is, of course, her track five from her first owned album, Lover, um, the first album that she released after leaving Big Machine Records. Yeah, and her track five of Lover is The Archer. And track five, if you don't know, if you're not in the Swifty universe, um, all of her track fives on all of her albums, she has said are her like very personal, um, emotional songs that she feels very connected to. So Mm -hmm. whenever a new album comes out, it's a really big deal to see which one is track five and on lover it was the archer so that tells us that it's very personal to her and she has a very emotional connection to the song and it shows in the lyrics i would say i mean the archer is the song that i really credit with transforming my relationship with taylor swift i agree Um, the fact that we named the podcast after the archer it makes a lot of sense because you know the sagittarius connection but even just beyond that the song is so really like the epitome of my relationship with her and yeah. how I feel about her music. It totally is. And it, I remember when I first heard it, I just thought to myself like, oh, this is the Taylor Swift that I loved when I was younger. This is the Taylor Swift. This is the writing that I fell in love with, you know, during Fearless, Speak Now, Red, all of that. I was like, she's still in there. I just, I wasn't a huge fan during Reputation. So the Archer just totally reminded me of who she is as an artist. And honestly, as a person, it reminded me just how much she really has been the Archer and the Prey in her career mm-hmm. and that there's a lot to be said about that and a lot of context to be taken into all of her music considering that she's been attacked (laughs) all these years yeah absolutely and you know it's so funny I love that you say that it brought you back to the Taylor you loved as a child because I mean you are seven years younger than me eight years younger Mm -hmm. than me you're going to be 22 right yeah yeah and I'm going to be 30 um in just a few weeks she just she reaches so many audiences I know I know so I didn't know Taylor as a child. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I really disliked her for most of my life because I only, I never really was a fan of pop music as a teenager mm. or young adult. You know, I was really living that like indie bitch life. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I really only knew what the mainstream media told me about her. So yep, when I exactly. heard The Archer in 2019 and I, I heard this song that like is really one of the songs that resonated with me more than like as much as like the songs that up until that point were in like my top five like I was like why is a song by Taylor Swift someone that I have at best not cared about and at worst like actively thought was a villain in Hollywood how does this song resonate with me so much and that really led me to completely unlearn everything that I had learned about her and open my eyes
eyes and heart to her like poetry and art. Yes, I couldn't agree more. And this makes me wonder, since we both had similar feelings listening to this song specifically, um, it makes me wonder how many other Swifties had the same experience where this song Mm. or at least this part of the album just kind of, I don't know, kind of transformed how we were looking at her and kind of gave us a new perspective on her, especially after all the chaos of her career, like prior to this of reputation and like the weird lover rollout and just everything in that like five year gap. I do wonder if other Swifties also felt that same way. Like, oh, this is Taylor Swift. Let me unlearn everything else I thought. And I mean, I I love that it ended Miss Americana too. Yes. Um, Like just that subtle fade out of like who she's become and having the Archer be the song that it's almost like we want this to be your the like taste in your mouth when you're done with this movie is the Mm -hmm. Archer. Yes. Um, Oh, I love how you just put that. Yes. The fact that it's her track five, too. I mean, that to me says that, like, she knew that this song was transcending other songs. she was putting out, yeah. Exactly. Like, that this would be the encapsulation of the Lover album. I would say that this song gives context to every other song on the album. mm -hmm. I think this song predates all the other songs and gives, like, the audience some sort of ground to base everything else off of. So if you listen Mm -hmm. to this song first and then you hear a song like Cruel Summer... you know, when you hear about that, like pain of like having to hide this relationship or whatever, it really, yeah, it gives it context. It gives it more context. I really can't add anything else. I just yeah. I love the song so much. So it, it feels like such a, a blessing and a privilege to be able to name our podcast after that. I'm so um, glad that we found that this song had so much common ground between us. Yeah. So just from a Sagittarius, on a more shallow reading of it, it being about like a Sagittarius anthem. I mean, I think that the fact that the song is so emotional and complex and kind of like unreadable. It's really one of those like if you know, you know songs. Yeah, like if you're sad, you know. Yeah, and then meanwhile there's so many people that are like I don't get the Archer. I don't understand I was just gonna say that. I've seen more people say that they don't understand the Archer and that they don't get what it's about and this and that and I'm like, oh, so you must not have any Sagittarius placement. Noted. (laughs) (laughs) I know, it's just, it's like the thing is, it's this song is about being seen as prey and being seen at like something that you need to tie down something that you need to shoot down like a wild thing that you're trying to capture the prey and this song simultaneously is... also being the thing that yes. can hunt the prey that's why it, everyone feels the need to tie it down exactly like that is the essence of what it is like to be a Sagittarius and it's it's also then all wrapped up with like all the the queerness that's really dripping in this song you know yeah so anyways Sagittarius let's quickly just go over her placements and our placements yeah okay so Katie what is your big three first okay my big three I have a Cancer rising so Cancer ascendant is very watery very motherly on the outside my son is of course Sagittarius November 28th (laughs) I would say my son comes out most and my Sagittarius son like for people that know me comes out most through that the fact that I'm like gregarious like I really have the Jupiter energy of being right. you know like a hostess etc and I also tend to have that like sardonic sense of humor and can kind of seem like flippant almost at times when I have to like live more on the surface then finally my moon is 
Virgo. I have a Virgo moon. That's a tough one. It is. Yes. It makes me, I literally think of it as like, there's just like a walnut as my core. That's like <laughs> extremely hard to crack, um, but like a gushy center, like when you actually do. My Virgo moon, like pretty much only my wife understands that part of me. And yeah, I just keep things really close. Very, very close. I was thinking about your chart earlier before we mm. um, started recording and I was like, I can totally see the cancer rising. I can totally see the sad sun, but the Virgo moon really is that walnut, like very, it's mm-hmm. inside, it's internal, but it yeah. comes through with, you're very good at organizing. Like the way that you emailed me about the <laughs> podcast was your Virgo moon being like, okay, so I just came up with this idea. <laughs> Absolutely. And that, that was at one, and that I sent that email at one thirty in the morning. <laughs> Um, so I am a Sagittarius sun as well, of course, and I am a Cancer moon, which totally just, no wonder we have so many similarities. Um, you're a Cancer rising, I'm a Cancer moon, and it makes me very, very sensitive. Taylor is also a Cancer moon. Uh, the fact that you share two out of three, so amazing. It's pain. It's really, it's painful. <laughs> that's why That's why when I listen to her music, I, I feel it almost too much sometimes, and I'm like, oh, poor thing. And then I'm a Pisces rising, which makes me just absolutely batshit crazy I am so I feel unreadable at times and very mysterious. I change my moods every two and a half days like the moon and they're hidden like the Pisces that I am. Yeah. Um, Taylor is a Scorpio rising so that makes sense as to why she is a very polarizing figure to the public. Scorpio risings are known to have a very piercing effect in any space that they're in. So whether she's in a room or in the media she has a very polarizing effect because people are afraid. Scorpios are, I think, the most uh, polarizing sign in, in the Zodiac, I've found. Yeah, people have strong feelings over, over Scorpios in general. And having that be your rising sign, like, mm-hmm. you know, they say your rising sign is what you're supposed to grow into in your lifetime. And as we've watched Taylor grow all these years, she's she's embracing this figure that everyone has made her into. You know, we kind of saw it first with Blank Space and then Reputation, and now she's just doing whatever the hell she wants with the re-recordings, and it's totally Mm. embracing that like yeah I am polarizing so I'm just gonna keep being polarizing since everyone is going to say I am anyways and that's also her rebellion of Sagittarius yeah my my wife is a Scorpio and Mm. um so I'm like pretty familiar with the ins and outs of like what it means to be a Scorpio and the thing that I admire most about them are their understanding of death and I put quotes around death like the transformation in general well that's the thing it's like of things ending and and of endings as inherently transformational and transformative and like I just admire that so much because you know Sagittarius is coming after Scorpio Mm -hmm. I feel like there's such a close relationship to them but it's almost as if like Sagittarius are so they're in the phase right after the Mm -hmm. ending if Scorpio is the ending then Sagittarius is are kind of like are the new beginning exactly yeah it's like the leftover embers of a fire like if Scorpio was putting out the fire Sagittarius would be the sign of the leftover embers catching flame again that is exactly right I mean that is I I don't think you could say it better than that especially considering Taylor's obsession with imagery of rising from the dead and and of ashes like yeah that's exactly right I mean she's always living in that space between her ascendant of Scorpio Mm 
mm-hmm. and her son of Sagittarius. She's living in that like the burst of the flame yeah. when it becomes ember. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree. It's it's crazy looking at her chart and how much it makes sense. It makes me like I feel like if anyone needs convincing that astrology is real, just look at Taylor Swift's first chart <laughs> and her career. Like seriously, it's it's insane. And we will talk so much more about this on the podcast. I want to do like so Absolutely. much with her birth chart. Yeah, of course. It's just uh yeah, we would be remiss to not mention her birth chart on an episode talking about the archer since she is oh, an exactly. archer. <laughs> exactly. So the archer, of course, as we said, is track five on Lover. And the lyrics start out where she says, combat, I'm ready for combat. I say I don't want that. But what if I do? It's so hard. God, I, lo- like, oh, I love this song so much. I know, I know. I wish we could just listen to it like on the pod. So we, the way that I see this song and well, you can jump in at any point, of course. The combat part to me feels like combating homophobia Mm. and combating the struggle for her to come out without really coming out because Uh. the general public would not have a good reaction to her. A country music originated artist coming out. Or, I mean, really uh, like a femme, beautiful beautiful woman coming out yeah yeah in general yeah (laughs) an object of attraction for men to come out and and one of like the biggest punching bags for sluts in the media and the whole idea of a slut you know like there was still just on netflix not very long ago they mentioned taylor swift and all of her boyfriends you know it's like she's been this punching bag for misogyny or misogyny and slut shaming so not only would she be starting another war of all of her exes being brought up in the media but also Mm -hmm the war of combating just straight up homophobia and I also think that this could be talking about her team I'm sure that her team did not want her to come out in a really big dramatic way I couldn't see them encouraging that in any way we see how strict they are in Miss Americana and we can talk mm-hmm. about that more as we get through the song but um, I do think that her team has a really big hand in either helping her not come out or keeping her in the closet unwillingly absolutely I mean I say I don't want that I say but what if like, I do yeah exactly Exactly. It's like, I I mean, that already is putting the juxtaposition between how she acts and how she feels, you know, yes. what she says and what she thinks. Like, it's already coming out. Like, the first the first punch of the song yeah. is, I'm saying something, but what if I'm not telling you the truth? Which is also that internal combat, that internal battle she's having. And that's so Sagittarius, too. Like, not even being able to acknowledge your feelings, running from them, kind mm-hmm. of just doing the exact opposite of what you feel you need to or want to. As we've said before, before people think Sagittarius Sagittarians love to travel just to travel but I mean a lot of times Sagittarians are traveling as a form of running like getting away it's a from coping something. mechanism babe. exactly it's, um <laughs> I just want to note for anyone that isn't exactly a Swifty as we know Taylor started in Tennessee in country music her father is someone who worked in the stock market as she grew up so he knows how to market to an audience and he knows what the business side of things looks like he's been heavily involved in her management along with her mom of course and just her whole family so yeah that's some good background to um, acknowledge as well especially just I'm not comparing um, Taylor's situation to Britney but it's Mm. there are some parallels there of the families being involved from a very young age and kind of growing up knowing you were going to be a star and they're both Sagittariuses and they both lack Mm. a lot of freedom in their career yeah they're I mean 
I just think the fact that they're both child stars, child yeah. singers, like, of course you have to compare them. Taylor Swift in a lot of ways has like had a, has had an extremely different career than Britney Spears, like pretty much as far away from Britney Spears kind of brand of celebrity as you can get in the 21st century. But you have to compare the two because mm-hmm. they're both white, blonde, child stars. Pop stars. So yeah, she built her whole fan base off of this Miss Americana persona, which she goes over so much in that documentary, um, just being this like kind of Southern belle. She's white, she's blonde, she's blue eyed, she's the girl next door, poster child for America and that whole vibe of like the early 2000s that everyone was kind of looking for. She was exactly it. Um, her brand was like super palatable. It still is for the most part, but it's always been very palatable. It's always like even uh, the job that I just got recently on my first day, they were showing me how to play the music in the place. And my my boss said, we always play Taylor Swift music video because it's a safe bet. Isn't wow. that so interesting? And it just showed me. I was like, you're right. It is a safe bet because even though people hate her, she's not going to say anything too dirty in her song. She's not going to cuss in her songs. Any customer that comes in is going to, you know, be fine with Taylor Swift playing. There's no, her music is everywhere you go, which just God, proves so how. right. I mean, I am one of those Taylor Swift fans that whenever I hear Taylor Swift on, like in a public place, I'm like, my favorite indie artist is playing. I'm like, oh my God, how do they know this song? Exactly. It's like a blank space. I'm like, oh my God, this song's so underground. Like, how did they? I like need a reality check all the time that to the vast majority of the world, they still think of Taylor as I did a few years ago. Yeah. I saw someone say today on Twitter that she's the most mainstream yet underground artist there is. And because, because everyone you're... knows her, but yes. no one likes her. Ugh, don't, I can't even. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's also just want to note like a lot of the narratives that are built around her heterosexuality and her persona that people don't like is often built on by Swifties like by her audience just the way that they've built narratives around all of her songs and all of her albums who they're about the way that the media takes that and runs with it um, regardless of if it's true and it just kind of builds itself the narratives around her and around who she's dating so her possibly being queer would imply that she has been like lying and kind of like hiding the truth from her fans which I understand why Swifties get frustrated with alternative theories about her songs sometimes because I'm like all these years you all have built these narratives around these songs and have these ideas in your head of who they're about and connect them to your real life accordingly and if she were to come out all of that would crumble it would be a very confusing experience for Swifties to absolutely have to reinterpret the songs Mm -hmm. as well as the general public I mean even the public knows like oh yeah she wrote this song was when she was dating Jake Gyllenhaal you know yeah even like middle-aged men know that yeah yeah it's really strange um i didn't realize it until recently and even if you go on her genius pages for all of her songs like all the descriptions have some sort of guess on who it's about and it's so strange because there's no other artists that none absolutely none i can't think of a single one no and it's so infuriating she's worked so hard to get credit for her work and have like her be the one that is you know creating this artwork like she's this incredible poet incredible writer and mm-hmm. every single genius page is just pap shots of her with different men. 
yeah and it's like well oh she wrote God. this in this time so it must be about this person because they were seen around this time. and i get that she's doing it to herself in a way with like the pap walks and the pr and everything but it's crazy how it snowballs but all of this is to say that it would be combat for her to come out yeah. and for her to embrace her queerness in such a public and obvious way um for the general public to acknowledge it would be combat because think of all these things that she would have to defend and all these things she would have to explain <laughs> absolutely she also still markets her music and um, does promotions in places like Russia where there are no laws protecting um, queer people. She just did a promotion in Russia about a month ago. So she's still um, very active in these countries where homophobia runs rampant. And that's another example of why she would not be able to come out. She wouldn't be allowed in Russia. Like, let alone would she like not be like able to maybe like book tours anymore, like or like have, you know, huge backing in Russia it's more like she literally physically would not be allowed in the country yeah. if they she would was ban out. her ban any advertisements for her music yes. like everything um like she cares about her fans so much why would she ever do that to her Russian yeah. fans and and that point is one of the only points that makes me understand and empathize for why it doesn't come out because I think it's notable for her to come out in such a way that only queer people understand mm-hmm. so that they can still enjoy her music and her tours and everything even in places where they aren't really allowed to express themselves exactly i'm just trying to give the audience an idea of how because people always say if taylor wanted to come out she would and it's it's not that easy for an artist like taylor swift who is an international pop star it's not like this is you know king princess or Haley kyoko love them both they're in much different situations to be able to have queerness be a part of their brand it's not the same for taylor so let me know what you think about this but i think that in this song they when she says they Mm -hmm. i think it refers a lot to her team and her management and just like the pr side of things the business side of things that holds her back i think it could also be referencing a queer love of hers too but yeah so okay so there's a few different parts where she uses they as a pronoun the one that i absolutely think is her team is when she says at at one point does she say they say I don't want that but what if I yeah. do yeah 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 um, in, in one of the other verses yeah in one of the other verses that I'm like absolutely like her whole mm-hmm. team is telling her like you you think you're prepared for the backlash but you're not like you don't yeah. want this backlash but another part that she uses they that I think is so interesting is easy they come easy they go yes and that's why I wanted to hear your thoughts because that yeah. seems more like about love interest love um, interest or fans opera yep. even like opportunities like mm-hmm. sponsorship yeah it's like everything every part of her life so far it's like sometimes it's up sometimes it's down I don't want to get too much into like when the song was written her current relationship whatever but I mean regardless of if she has a, a partner right now um and like who that partner is there's so much loneliness in this song mm-hmm. it echoes so much the part in Miss Americana when she talks about, you know, winning the Grammy for 1989. 
and looking around and realizing that there's no one, there's no one to really be by her side. She said, I had my mom, but that's about it. So like this song encapsulates that same loneliness to me. When she got that Grammy, everyone thought that she was with Calvin Harris. Yeah. So it's it's interesting she said so straight up, like I didn't have anyone. So like, I just don't understand why so many of us are dead set on taking everything she says, or more importantly, everything the media says about her relationship at face value and not even at face value. Like, yes, take everything she says at face value. Fine. But more importantly, like, don't take everything that you hear about her and be like, that's the word of God. That is Mm -hmm. the unbreakable, unknowable truth. And then just to use it as a defense against her possibly being queer too. Not even (laughs) like, not even as like, um, oh, I take everything she says, her word for it, whatever. But it seems that Swifties that have a problem with her potentially being queer and with people talking about it only want to take the things she said as truth when it's to defend her straightness. But anyways, regardless of all that, this Mm -hmm. is so lonely. They, like whoever they is, it's so other, it's so separate from her. It's so lonely. And again, we keep talking about Miss Americana, but it's so relevant to this song because this was the time that, like when the song was recorded was the time she was making Miss Americana. So there was a part for anyone who doesn't know, again, just providing more context, Taylor is sobbing to her team and they're having a little meeting and she's begging her dad and all of her other management to allow her to make an Instagram post in support of the Democratic nominees in Tennessee. And that was in the 2018 election. She's quite, this scene is heartbreaking. I <laughs> I didn't take it very seriously when it first came out. I was like, oh, white girl crying over her political stances. I don't feel bad. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. But the more context that I kind of learned just like about her and her queerness specifically and how I feel like that tied into her wanting so badly to speak out. In the middle like I rewatched the okay between the time I watched Miss Americana for the first time and mm-hmm. when I watched Miss Americana for the second time I yeah. had watched the Britney doc that came out oh yeah the New York Times Britney doc and mm-hmm. like I no longer think about celebrity culture the same way after mm-hmm. I saw that doc and then like after just like from what I know now about what it means to be a celebrity like how many choices are people really making like what Mm -hmm. like what does Taylor what is in their control yes what actually is we truly could never know it's Um, it's really scary her dad in this clip it's it's a really interesting clip because her dad is sitting across the room with all of her team and then Taylor's like on one couch with her mom on the other side of the room and they're having this conversation and her dad mentions you know you can't do this I'm the guy that got armored cars to protect you and your safety he expresses that he him and the rest of the team not just him express their concern for her safety more than anything it feels to me very manipulative it felt almost like gaslighting it felt like a scare tactic to make her fearful for her own safety so that she wouldn't have the urge to speak out on this issue or come out or whatever it may be and I just want to note that because it's just I think if you haven't seen the documentary and you're not like a full-time Swifty like a lot of us are um, when you don't have all the context it just feels like a very silly little theory but when you see these very real situations happening behind
behind the scenes of her like just trying to have a little bit of freedom to speak on things outside of her brand it's so complicated and if they're showing us that in the documentary it makes me wonder because watching that I was shocked that they even put that out and that they her team allowed themselves to be seen like that in the documentary so it makes me wonder what else is happening that isn't in the documentary and how much worse the control probably is around her he also mentions you know this is a great tactic to cut your audience in half for the next tour so another scare tactic you know you're gonna lose all your fans if you do this i just think it's so painful like as a even separate from being a queer woman like just Mm -hmm. as a woman as like a femme watching her team and her dad especially try to convince her that she should be scared and she should be fearful of how people might respond should she express herself it's just so painful because you know it's like we really are as white women told to prioritize like our safety and our well-being above like speaking out on things that we have the uh, privilege to speak out on about like goodness and what is right and any sort of justice and it just breaks my heart that that the world has to suffer the consequences of that of like white Mm -hmm. womanhood being so prioritized over the Mm -hmm. well-being of people of color queer people trans people like any people that aren't white women it's like it's just devastating it's Mm -hmm. violence you know so basically her team to me feels like a huge reason for her questioning coming out and a lot of this song to me sounds like her questioning if she'll be able to keep her audience if she does eventually come out yeah like we were saying they could be referring to fans as well so in the next verse she says because cruelty wins in the movies I've got a hundred thrown out speeches I almost said to you. A hundred thrown out speeches? Like, what does that mean? If not in the context of a, like, intense monologue that she has tried, like, a a big thing, like, a big admission that she's been trying to make that she hasn't been able to. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's obviously the coming out speech. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. It's clearly some sort of admission. Yes! Like, what else... like the phrase the idea that you're writing speeches over and over and over again is because you're trying to confess something whether you're trying to confess a like new political stance something controversial yeah for sure yes exactly i mean i feel like there's so many scenes of coming out stories um in like movies and film where you literally see someone writing a speech over and over and over again it's a very popular trope for coming out like figuring out the right words how are you going to say this like totally totally Uh, what do you think about because cruelty wins in the movies I just I uh that line is so perplexing to me it totally is for me too and it took me a minute to kind of like get my thoughts down on this because I I'm not I'm still not sure if these are actually my thoughts but they're one of my interpretations of it is that if she does see coming out as a combat like battle situation then she's also saying that even if she loses these fans or like some of her audience in the process she would be doing what's quote-unquote right and it would be it would fit a victory or like a happy ending that you would see in a coming-of-age story like in a movie so even if it's cruel and she loses half of her audience to this battle like if we really visualize it as like a gruesome battle of her coming out then yes she's gonna have some casualties but that's how you win in the movies that's how you get the happy ending is some people have to die for you to get your win and Mm -hmm. that's that's how I interpret that whole because cruelty wins in the movie. 
movies. Yeah, I mean, I I love that interpretation. And I mean, I think it says a lot about the trope of writing the speeches, like just referencing Mm -hmm. movies and realizing that like she's in a like very cinematic part of her life, you know, really doing Mm -hmm. something that like has been done by queer people many, many times before. So considering how alone she is in this, I feel like she also is very aware of some sort of like ancestral queer community and context for herself. As we've seen, Taylor is very well versed in queer history and queer literature. She references it in, I mean, as early as Red, I would say she references queer things and queer themes. So like you were saying that it's a common theme in like movies and stuff of people writing these speeches, trying to find the right words. She's totally acknowledging that here. She's like, yeah, I am just another one of those coming out stories and I'm trying to figure out where my place is in doing this. Just thinking of because cruelty wins in the movies, that line has always reminded me of the Brandy Carlisle song, The Joke. Do you know that song at all? I don't, but I've heard a lot about Brandy Carlisle on the subreddit. Okay, yes, because the way that I know Brandy Carlisle in relation to Taylor Swift is in Brandy Carlisle's most recent book. So she's a lesbian country folk singer. Uh, Brandy Carlisle knows of her then. Yes. I mean, she's very famous, I think. She's in the band The Highway, The Highway Women, oh. The High Women, The High Women with Maren Morris. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's tea. Exactly. So. Anyhow, Brandy Carlisle, lesbian country singer, has this really incredible song. Actually just realized is on like a Sagittarius playlist that I have. So very like similar vibes in general. It's the song The Joke by Brandy Carlisle is essentially a song to like marginalized people. The chorus is let them laugh while they can. Let them spin. Let them scatter in the wind. I have been to the movies. I've seen how it ends and the jokes on them. Oh, um, Um, So basically being like everyone that's cruel to you now, the joke's on them. And just referencing like the movie. And it's so funny because Brandi Carlisle is saying in the movies, the good guy always wins. And Taylor's saying in the movies, cruelty always wins. Like, isn't that so interesting? That is really interesting. So your theory of cruelty in this case being coming out? Yeah, I see cruelty as almost how her team would look at it. Exactly. Of like, that would be cruel for you to lose half of your audience and to ruin your connection with half of your audience. And she's like, well, it wins in the movies, so it must be the right thing to do. And her obsession with being a good girl too, um, Mm -hmm. when you were talking about that and the movie and the good guy always wins, that's really interesting the way it's a very emphasized in Miss Americana that she has always been obsessed with being a good girl. It's very interesting noted though about Brandy Carlisle. I really need to look into that more. I really love the high women with her and Maren Morris. Um, so definitely start there because there's some great lesbian country songs on that as well. Oh, I definitely will. Don't yeah. play with me. I love <laughs> finding new um, queer artists. And of course we see her mentioning battles too in, in New Romantic on 1989 where she says every day is like a battle she talks about bricks getting thrown at her it's very stonewall new romantics is is in my like top three favorite taylor songs i love that song so much 
I it's like the origination of the castle metaphor and like the kingdom yeah. metaphor yeah. um you know that's really like wrapped up in call it what you want yeah um, and like all of reputation like yes exactly so I love the connection to cruelty winning in the movies yeah she um it, it's just another one of those examples of her thinking or feeling like every day is a battle because she has to constantly hide this part of her and battle wanting to come out and then of course we have like up next in the next verse easy they come easy they go i jump from the train i ride off alone oh god i love her train metaphors so much Mm -hmm. and the train i mean in her other music has always represented i thought like you know relationships Mm -hmm. um like intimate relationships so yeah like in that sense like easy they come easy they go could be Mm -hmm. like romantic partners considering this song i would say that my instincts of like easy they come easy they go being more about just the ups and downs of life in general it would make sense that trains for her and relationships for her do work a little bit more like eras in her mind and like Mm -hmm. bookmarks in her mind of certain Mm -hmm. times so like the train might just be some goal and period of her life that she has to transition out of so she jumps out of it and then riding off alone I never grew up it's getting so old help me hold on to you oh god I god I know I I think that part is very sad god yeah absolutely absolutely because there certainly is a like naivety in Sagittarians Mm -hmm. Um, and it's that optimism that we have we kind of it comes from a very like inner child kind of place yeah and I loved in Miss Americana when she talks about that saying that they have that people have that when you become famous that's the age you stop at Mm -hmm. so if you become a child star you're gonna be perpetually like nine years old for the rest Mm -hmm. of your life and Taylor was like I think that's true and I have like 12 years of catching up to do so I just like I love that that she had the self-awareness to really try to work on that you know I think part of that for her is like okay I can't use the same I can't hide in the closet like I've been doing since I was a teenager since I like first realized that I was queer because most of us you know realize that we're queer at different times in our life of course depending on like compulsory heterosexuality or you know like just straight up exactly like obviously it's different but I mean puberty is a pretty common time when Mm -hmm. we start to like realize oh you know maybe I don't feel the same way about like boys or girls that I'm supposed to and it also makes me think about I believe the term is second adolescence that people use in reference to queerness and how kind of in the same way of people describe when you you get frozen at the age that you become famous you also kind of you backtrack when you come out as queer and when you start actually embracing your queerness I think especially when you kind of realize it when you're a little bit older than puberty and absolutely it's like you have to relearn all of your relationship dynamics and relearn how to love people and how to embrace who you are and like this new person and it's it's like a second puberty second adolescence and it makes me think of that too as well as all of her Peter Pan references in all of her music this is just another one of them like in Cardigan she says tried to change the ending Peter losing Wendy she never grows up and this line was probably the one that hit me the hardest when I first heard the song and where I was like oh she's raw 
like this song is raw. The self-awareness that's there just shows that she's in a lot of pain. <laughs> like she's she's acknowledging that it's self-induced in some ways too. And um, what do you think about the help me hold on to you line? It just, it's like, it always just has seemed like just reminiscent of like drowning like I just oh. picture I just picture it as like kind of the ultimate cry for help like help me like I am so lost I'm so at sea that I can't even trust myself to hold on to you like yeah. like help like I need me. you to hold on to me exactly that's mm-hmm. what help me hold on to you means like just basically like I'm so alone I am so used to being alone. I only know how to live alone that if we're going to have a chance, I need you to help me. When you said that, I never get thought of that visual of her like kind of in water, but it reminds mm-hmm. me of, I believe it's the cardigan video where she's holding onto her piano and she's Absolutely. like at yeah. waves like at sea and she's yeah. like desperately holding on to the piano and her music. I, and I think it could be holding on to her fans, like help me hold on to my audience and and my fans regardless of me going through this like transition of me trying to come out possibly also maybe her partners as you said like jumping off from the train could represent like leaving these relationships when it gets too serious because it's just not realistic and so it's like help me hold on to you help me make this work even though I can't hold on can you hold on to me like at least (laughs) she says I've been the archer I've been the prey who could ever leave me darling but who could stay? For those who don't know, Sagittarius is the archer. Specifically what it is, it's a centaur. So a centaur holding a bow and arrow. And what a centaur is, is a half horse, half human. So literally a combination of archer and prey. So we have humans who hunt animals, and then we have animals who are hunted um existing yeah (laughs) existing in that one symbol um and then of course you know to even make it more so they the human half the the upper half that has arms and the ability to hold the weapon is actively holding the weapon so just that weakness and that strength existing in one body and one presence is really what it's like to be a Sagittarian because people are always kind of resenting you for, or I won't say people in general, but like there's a resentment towards Sagittarians for being so carefree, optimistic, um, and very free and wild feeling. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, to actually live as a Sagittarian it's the reason why we come across as those things is because we are like traumatized from like just how we process the trauma that it all human beings experience because to be human is to experience trauma um and the way that Sagittarians process it is by being jovial charismatic the life of the party a perfect hostess Holding on to that inner child. Clutching that inner child, holding on to that naivete. And then all of those things are then paired with a, you know, deep fear of anyone really knowing us, of anyone getting close to us, of not being alone. Like to be a Sagittarian is to be simultaneously surrounded by people and to be alone. And Mm -hmm. it's 
that's what this song is about. It's about being hunted and the hunter and Mm -hmm. the very tragic reality of, of living in that like you said they the Sagittarius is that like half animal half human and the only zodiac sign with a weapon mm-hmm. we're the only ones that have to fight back and that are equipped to fight back exactly equipped um, to fight back exactly yeah um and it's it's because there is something threatening about us being able to do both we're the only we're the only sign that has human and animal features in the in the archetype so of course mm-hmm. that's threatening to the rest of the zodiac I mean, I would be scared too, Um, (laughs) but that's why we have a bow and arrow, you know, and we think of these like public Sagittariuses like Britney Britney Spears, Miley Cyrus, um, Nicki Minaj, all very outspoken women in their careers. Miley Cyrus has had so many phases in her career of Mm -hmm. being like hated and ostracized, but then also being one of the most well-known pop stars alongside Taylor, you know, so. Absolutely, um, yeah. And who could ever leave me, darling, but who could stay? That, to me, is so mm, just, isn't that, isn't that just, like, the sweetest little, like, fishing Mm -hmm. for compliments, self-deprecating, like, oh, just so good. It just really sums it up. Like, we think so highly of ourselves, and then... Like, who could ever leave me? But because of that, and because I think like that, who would even want to stay? Exactly. Easy they come, easy they go. It's a hard life, but someone has to live it. I think the who could ever leave me, darling, and who could stay line is just so representative of, like, Sagittarians being a walking contradiction. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, (laughs) we are these free-spirited people but we're also terrified and on Mm -hmm. the defense at any point and are not afraid to jump from the train and ride off alone if we have to and that is intimidating and people don't want to stay with someone like that especially especially if you're queer hiding in the closet and you have this big public persona everything you do is watched so closely I mean who would ever want to stay in that situation Got to find someone that wants to stay in the closet with you, basically. Exactly. Dark side. I search for your dark side. But what if I'm all right, 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 right here? I think this is also in Sagittarian nature. Despite us being so optimistic, um, we're very critical. And it's definitely her kind of looking for a reason to jump from the train. She's like, it's a lot easier to leave and run as Sagittarius is, right? Mm-hmm. It's so much easier to run from our problems than to stay and deal with them. So let me look for a reason to run. Let me look for a reason to ruin this so that it doesn't get ruined by something else. I mean, yeah, I really can't say it better than that. And then just that echoing, but what if I'm all right, 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 right here? Like that begging, she's begging. It's like, even though she's not actually begging through these lines, the, the repetition of just asking, this person to like validate them it's like I know Mm -hmm. I'm trying to tear you apart I know I'm trying to like convince myself that this isn't right but like please like she's begging please tell me that I am safe and that I can do this it's the Mm -hmm. same thing it's help me hold on to you like help me not destroy this yeah it's all just anxiety like that whole that whole verse is just like what I feel like anyone with anxiety can relate to having those thoughts of like, I have to find my fears and find everything that I'm afraid of and how it's probably true. And anxiety is not just in Sagittarius, sadly. No, no, <laughs> it is not. <laughs> we definitely 
experience anxiety and we'll just book a trip to cope with it though instead of like meditating or doing something normal (laughs) yeah exactly the next verse she says and I cut off my nose just to spite my face then I hate my reflection for years and years I think this has to I think it's like a symbolism for her like hiding her queerness she's hiding a part of herself she's cutting Mm -hmm. off this this whole part of herself and hurting herself in the process cutting off your nose like is just such a it's like she's breaking down I mean like her face is her brand so Mm -hmm. like to cut off her nose and like to you know destroy this image of her and how people see her just because she's grown to hate it it's Mm -hmm. like I feel like she is is really stuck between actually determining what aspect of her legacy and her brand as Mm -hmm. Taylor Swift figuring out what parts of it she likes and values and wants to treasure and what parts of it have not only not served her or don't serve her anymore but like what parts of herself and how she's seen have actively stunted her yeah and then hating the reflection I just feel like she really is struggling to figure out what is true and what is out of like the spite and Mm. just the revenge that I think the album before this song you know lover um the album before it reputation that was like such a vendetta of an album um and like contained so much talk of like revenge I feel like she after she had her reputation era um really had to be like okay how much of that was real and based in real things and how much of it was because I was really angry and wanted to blow everything up yeah and I think she said before that during her reputation era she did feel like she was playing a character and it Mm -hmm. didn't feel like herself and I that's a really great point I do think that that is the part of the career or her career that she's referencing and I like how you said too kind of like her legacy what she's wanting to leave behind like yeah she cut off this part of herself and like left it and it's not a part of her legacy now at least not officially to people outside of Gaylor it causes her to just like have that regret of like why did I do all of that and why did I play this character why did I act like a completely different identity than I am yeah so next it's I wake in the night I pace like a ghost the room is on fire invisible smoke and all of my heroes die all alone help me hold on to you oh I just love how she uses fire imagery I mean it doesn't hurt that Sagittarius is a fire sign so already like the song is so fiery and then it bursts into flame at this point and then oh just invisible smoke if the room is on fire like and she knows that everything's burning to the ground but she can't actually see the evidence of it anywhere just it's like the fire's not real yeah because the smoke isn't real then the fire must not be real but the fire is real because she feels it she feels the fire she can't see it and the the fire like the fire already killed her because she's a ghost (laughs) yeah yeah I just it's it's like psychological tor like torture that she's going through like trying to figure out how to be real how to throw away what doesn't serve her and to hold on to what is true and real inside of her and to find that that space um Ugh. and then like finally you know it's like she's going through this torture and then she just says to herself like well all my heroes die alone like 
it's like she is telling herself over and over again that being alone is the only way that she is going to get through this and then that same echo help me hold on to you I want to be all alone I want to never share my true self like help me I'm drowning and and this whole line like this whole verse I mean sounds like um anxiety ridden thoughts of like like racing thoughts in the middle of the night, like this visual that she gives of her waking in the middle of the night, walking around her room, pacing because she's anxious and feeling like she's on fire. And she's like, I'm going to die all alone, just like all of my heroes that came before me. I want to note that a lot of her heroes are queer. A lot of the people she's noted being inspirations to her are queer or queer adjacent, um, loved by the queer community. And it would make sense if she is in the closet that she would die all alone if she stayed in the closet or she would at least die all alone to the public eye. Yeah, exactly. She does have a cancer moon as i said which makes her probably a lot of a insomniac like myself um hers is in her eighth house which is terrifying and it makes sense why she (laughs) (laughs) makes sense why she's very intuitive um she's very connected to the other side she is always up late which we see in her song she talks about 2 a.m on every album she's always up in the middle of the night she's always coming up with song ideas in the middle of the night she's said before that she's woken up from her sleep to sing melodies into her voice memos on her phone to remember them because she heard them in her sleep in her dreams i would totally credit that to her cancer moon being in the eighth house but yeah all of this is just it's all anxiety her fears aren't even necessarily real because it's not like she's come out at all but she's just anticipating it and questioning when if she does what it's going to look like and just that and alone is enough to keep her up at night even though she hasn't acted another fun note i found while i was kind of just like coming up with my analysis for this song taylor had a childhood heroes party at uh for new year's i don't remember what year i think it was 2016 Hmm. And she asked everyone to dress as their childhood hero. I thought that was a Halloween party because that's what it looks like, but it wasn't. She dressed as Ariel, the Little Mermaid. And um, the original story of the Little Mermaid, Ariel loses the print and dies alone in the sea and turns into sea foam. And so the original story, the fairy tale, was written by this Danish author, Hans Christian Andersen, in 1837. Um, And this quote that I took from a page about it being queer said, it was a love letter for a man named Edward Colin and Anderson was believed to be bisexual and crushing on Colin and wrote Mm. this story as an inspiration for his feelings for another man yeah it's just it's really interesting and I didn't know this but the Little Mermaid is very well known as a queer allegory so if we think of if we associate I don't know if this was her intention but if we do associate all of my heroes died all alone with her dressing as Ariel a mermaid who died all alone a half human half animal might I add yeah just like the centaur yeah it seems like a weird coincidence but maybe it was intentional I don't know either way it's very telling of just her whole anxiety surrounding coming out Uh, I love the aerial connection mermaids are basically the centaurs of the sea (laughs) so I've definitely always connected with mermaids as a Sagittarius me too and I was gonna say that I was gonna say I've always thought of Ariel as a Sag and her voice being her weapon exactly similar to Taylor I feel like she has to be referencing the original seafoam ending Mm -hmm. because literally like the archer is about how she can't actually express herself and Mm -hmm. she is it's like she made this deal that she would get her dream aka Mm -hmm. becoming a famous 
musician and it, it trading for becoming a famous musician she can't actually be herself or speak what she actually wants to do whether that's politically or you know her deepest desires and identity ariel is her hero but she also died all alone and i think i think it's telling that she had that little party i believe right after or right before lover was it was either right before lover was released or right after you y'all can fact fact check me but it's a very specific theme for a party childhood heroes for a new year's party for a new year's party that is so strange yeah i'm really interested to know what year that was So then she goes into again, I've been the archer, I've been the prey. This time she's screaming, who could ever leave me, darling, but who could stay? Yeah, that of course reminds me of in My Tears Ricochet off of Folklore, which is another track five. Yeah, because that's um, And I Still Talk to You when I'm screaming at the sky. And it's it's interesting in that line too. She's screaming at the sky. Like she she has no one to talk to about mm-hmm. this. She has nowhere to take her frustrations out. It's all left on her shoulders. There's no way she could ever publicly talk about any of this or even probably to friends and stuff. She doesn't have no one can relate to that. Like she said, mm-hmm. you know, once you reach it to the top of the mountain and you're all alone, like then what? No one understands what she's going through more than her. Hence why she can only scream it at the sky. So then of course we have like the crazy bridge i guess where she says because they see right through me they see right through me they see right through can you see right through me they see right through me i see right through me she says this over and over and over all these lines just more of this like anxiety yeah and then going right into the like nursery rhyme like the humpty dumpty nursery rhyme um, oh yeah all the king's horses all the king's men couldn't put me together again because all of my enemies started out friends help me pull down to you like that whole bridge from they see right through me to the nursery rhyme it has such big lady macbeth energy like mm. going off the deep end screaming into nothingness like just it's it's just is so unhinged yes it's, it's the it's visuals just... for like ripping at her clothes off and like yes just tearing everything to the, the curtains lighting everything on fire like just so unhinged yeah and to go into the nursery rhyme all the king's horses all the king's men couldn't put me together again like that is just so out of left field that so many of the connections that different fans and like different galers have put forth as to the connections of that have like really transformed how I saw the end of this. Yeah, it's definitely so of course it's a reference to Humpty Dumpty. It's mm-hmm. also a reference to Dusty Springfield, which I think you and I talked about. One of the most yeah, exciting um, things. Yeah. So Springfield has an album called Reputation Rarities, first of all. Let's just put that out there. Sounds very familiar. In one of her songs, she says, all the king's horses, all the king's men, you'll never get me back together again because I just fall apart each time I look at you. All the king's horses, all the king's men are never going to make me smile again, which sounds just like the gayest thing I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) I, (laughs) I don't really, I don't have an explanation for that. I think you all understand where I'm coming from. For sure. And it was only like in the last week when I read this theory that someone had come up with comparing it to Dusty Springfield, comparing the archer to Dusty Springfield. It was only that week that I found out that Dusty Springfield is a lesbian and I- Which makes it even better. Oh, it makes it so much better i am obsessed with dusty springfield like i love her music i have so many of her 
her records and like have loved her since high school. I have to tell you, my sexual awakening was hearing her version of Son of a Preacher Man. Like I love that Whoa. song is like to this day, I think like the sexiest song in the entire world. It's insane. Whoa. You should, all should listen to it right now. But I love Jesse Springfield. So finding out this week that she's gay and that Taylor references her song in The Archer, I was like, how incredibly lucky I am that all of my favorite things came together. That's like the best crossover (laughs) episode ever. And there's a Vice article about her being gay and they say, this is a quote from the Vice article, that it was an open secret to the gay community, but her being a lesbian is not common knowledge in the general public today. So like how you, you're a fan of her and you didn't even know. Yeah. But it was this open secret in the community, which sounds really familiar to me. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Very interesting. And I love this. This is one of my favorite um, Gaylor evidences. I think the, this whole King's horses, King's men, the reference mm-hmm. with Dusty Springfield, all of it, even the lyric on its own sounds gay. But yeah, and then she just goes into, I've been the archer. I've been the prey. Who could ever leave me? Who could stay? She continues to say, I see right through me. Who could stay? And then she ends it with, you could stay. And again, she says, combat, I'm ready for combat. I love, we just went over this whole song. The whole time I've been like, she's so lonely. She is so alone. She's so desperate. She doesn't know how to hold on. And then in the final lines, yeah, she switches it. And it's like, actually, what if it's not about me staying? Like, what if it's not about, like, me pushing people away? What if, like, actually you are the ones that have to make the conscious choice and it's not all about me? Exactly. Yeah. You could say, you can hold on to me. Exactly. Like, maybe instead of just helping me hold on to you, you could just hold on to me. Hold on to me. (laughs) No, exactly. Like, why why do I have to hold on to you? No, yeah, it is such a turn. It is because this song is devastating and it gets more and more like doomed as it goes on and like more and more like catastrophic. It just it you it, it reminds me of this se- very specific scene in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind where there's like cars falling from the sky. And yeah. it's like right when everything is about to cr- like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And everything's like crumbling down. That's yep. really it. I'm sure there's a lot of other scenes, but this is the first one I'm thinking of that it reminds me of. But like, it's just it's catastrophic, this whole song. And then at the end, it's just like, I'm ready for combat. You could stay, period. Oh, and I love when she ends her song on the opening lines. She does it for a lot of her songs, especially on Lover. She does it for Cornelia Street. Oh, it's just so good when she ends it in like a little perfect circle. Yes, I was going to say full circle. It's so good. It's so satisfying. Even if we don't really get an ending to this story or what the hell she's talking about, like context wise. Well, she doesn't get an ending. So why should we? Exactly. Great point, Katie. Exactly. (laughs) Thank you so much. No, yeah, like, like you're so right. Oh my god, what a whirlwind, huh? Getting through that song. I feel like at one point we both were about to cry, like have a mental breakdown a little bit. Yeah, I love that song so much. And I feel like, okay, what does it mean for us to be the archers going forward? Like, I feel like Mm. it's very tongue in cheek because Swifties that are adamant about Taylor Swift's heterosexuality, aka Hitlers. To our Gaylers. Hetlers really do see Gaylers as combative, Mm -hmm. uh, cruel, um, Mm -hmm. and like trying to target their like 
beautiful heterosexual princess. And so like the fact that we're naming our podcast The Archers, I feel like is really like good for us to like really yeah we're ready for combat we have weapons like we are the only zodiac with weapons babe come for it like i don't care i love this song so much and i couldn't think of a better freaking name for our podcast like i genuinely i thought about it and i was like there's not another name that i would ever even consider because of what you said we really are like this is kind of combat you know like i hate to say it but gailers are soldiers like god (laughs) gives their toughest battles to their bravest soldiers like not just you and I making this podcast like we're on the front lines with this podcast for sure but like we get attacked for talking about queer themes and even when I've you've said it before that I'm very careful on my TikTok about Mm -hmm. towing the line and not assuming her sexuality or not pushing any labels onto her because I don't even have a label for myself why would I do that there are hetlers that come for me still even when I'm so careful about what I say and I know it's it's always going to happen because it's fueled by homophobia and that's just it that's just it so yeah it's a war it's a goddamn blaze in the dark and taylor started it taylor started it sorry that's what i always say when i don't respond to hitler's often but when i do i'm like take it up with taylor i didn't write the gay lyrics i feel like that is that is that that is the conclusion of the first episode of the archers I really hope that everyone feels uh, like they learned something Um, or if you didn't learn anything, what I really hope you feel is validated, heard and loved and held held close (laughs) because yeah we really are right there with you (laughs) i have a lot of um people that want to listen to this podcast that i know in real life that don't know anything about gaylor antics or don't consider her queer at all so i'm hoping that there's also people that are listening with an open mind and that are hoping to get like context to why we talk about gaylor so much and yeah i don't know maybe we'll get some new gaylor soldiers recruited soldiers uh yes i do want to do a disclaimer i am against the military industrial complex but soldiers as a metaphor i think it's great i'm glad people you know in real life will be listening to this because people i know in real life will be listening to this well hey it's time we come out of the closet as gaylers no yeah step into the daylight and let it go oh mm. Oh, do we want to talk about what we're doing next episode? Yes. So next episode, it will be recorded after uh, after Red Taylor's version comes out. Red Taylor's version, of course, comes out November 12th at midnight Eastern. Yeah, That's it's tomorrow uh, night. That is tomorrow night. Yes. And we will be talking next episode about Red Vault Tracks and the all too well uh, music video slash short film. Yeah, I'm really excited. And I'm most excited for the Phoebe Vault Vault track. But oh, yes, let's go back full circle to end this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What was Phoebe's tweet? tweet? Okay, so Phoebe, I realized, didn't actually tweet this, but it was a tweet about her. She said, quote, that she almost cried singing her part in the song for Taylor and that she hopes people will take the song at face value when they hear what does that fucking mean what does that fucking mean i i'm so scared it's gonna be very hard to not listen to that first 
Yes, my wife and I, Lizzie, fellow Gaylor, she and I have decided to listen to it in order. First, we're going to watch the short film. Then we will listen to the album in order. It will be very hard to not skip ahead to the vault tracks. Wow, you're so brave. I'm not doing that. I'm doing short film and then I'm starting at the first vault track and then going from there. Due to the powers of time zones, I'm jealous that you technically get it November 11th. Yeah, technically. And not so late either. Like I could probably be done with it by like one and knock out. Okay, well, great for you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you guys. So we will discuss Red TV on the next episode. Thank you all for joining us for this journey. It's going to be so much fun. Share with anyone that you want to convince, honestly. And uh, yeah, thank you all so much. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Woo! Oh my God.